What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews. I'm your host, John Delray. Today is part three, three of five parts where we are going through every single player on the Packers roster to get ready for training camp start next week. Yeah, next week, Monday, the shareholders meeting that kicks off. And then, of course, the first practice next week, Wednesday. And as I've said, I will be at every single training camp practice, uh, tweeting out my thoughts, doing a video every day, either like in Green Bay right after practice or giving me some time to get back home here and then put together a video. But regardless, you can bank on content coming at you with a revised schedule every single day that there is a training camp practice. So today we're going player by player for numbers 41 through 60 as we continue this series. Before getting there, though, two very quick updates for you. One, second round pick Luke Smuckers. Luke Musgrave, what just happened? Luke Musgrave officially signed his contract, so no more waiting around for him. Now it's just Jaden Reed who needs to sign his contract from the draft picks. Also, quarterback Alex Magoo. Yeah, that's actually how you say it. I was right yesterday. Alex Magoo has been officially signed by the Packers. That's at least temporarily going to give them four quarterbacks for training camp. And then in turn, they released center DJ Scaife. Uh, so I'll have more on Magoo, the USFL MVP later, uh, but for now, just know that he has been officially signed and the quarterback room is a little bit more crowded than it was yesterday. So let's get through this ton of players to get through today going 41 through 60. And I really don't want this to be a half hour video, so let's go. Number 41, that's going to be punter Daniel Whalen. He was acquired a free agent from the XFL where he did punting for the DC Defenders. Interesting fact about him is he was born in 1999 in Ireland. He received all XFL honors last year for finishing third in both punting average and punts inside the 20. What are his prospects for actually making the 53? Well, at OTAs, he actually outperformed Pat O'Donnell in terms of pure punting, so he's got the leg to get the job. But we also know that Rich Bisaggia really values the experience that O'Donnell brings as well as the quality holding. O'Donnell is revered as one of the best holders in the NFL, and with a rookie kicker, that could really come into play here. But Whalen also does have experience holding himself, and he's got the leg strength, so... I mean, maybe he could oust the Packers' oldest player in Pat O'Donnell. Plus, the Packers would save a little bit of cap room by moving from O'Donnell to Whalen. So it's not impossible. So just keep an eye on that. I'm not necessarily expecting Whalen to win the job, but he does have some stuff going in his favor. And it's certainly not impossible that Whalen could take over O'Donnell. Number 42, another special teamer. Yeah, by the way, you're going to pick up on a trend today. Numbers 41 through 60. These are not exactly... A lot of the most popular numbers for NFL players. There's a lot of UDFAs. There's a lot of special teamers. So a lot of guys you are going to hear me say, I don't know if they're going to make the roster. Just bear with me. Number 42, that's long snapper Matt Orzik. Signed as a free agent from the Rams this offseason. Given a three-year contract to boot, which is quite uncharacteristic for a long snapper. As far as pedigree for long snappers goes, dude's only been in the NFL for three years, but he does have some accomplishments. According to Packers.com, in his rookie year in Jacksonville, he helped Josh Lambeau set a team record for field goals made in a season. He also helped punter Logan Cook lead the NFL in punting average. Then, after that one year in Jacksonville, he signed with the Rams, wound up winning a Super Bowl, and then over the two years, assisted kicker Matt Gay in having the second highest field goal percentage in the NFL at 938 you can't really do that if you're a god-awful long snapper. 
So what are the roster prospects here? Look, the Packers signed him to solve their long snapping problems. Jack Coco last year, while doing some good things, was up and down throughout the course of the year. So they went out and they got Matt Orzek. And not only did they go get him, signing a long snapper to a three-year deal, that's a big deal. They made it a priority to go get him to be their new guy. And I got to believe he's going to be their new guy unless we run into some real severe problems here. Now, number 43, this is one of those duplicate numbers that the Packers have issued multiple of, which they're allowed to do in training camp for players of different positions, especially considering how many retired numbers the Packers have. So the first number 43 that I'm going to talk about, and Thomas, I know you're out there. I hope you're listening because you have given me grief since the draft about not talking about long snappers enough. So here it is just for you. 43A, that's Broughton Hatcher. He was a UDFA minicamp tryout, went to school at Old Dominion. Interesting fact about him is he tied the single-season record at Old Dominion for tackles by a long snapper with four. There you go. That's Broughton Hatcher. Look, I, the Packers like to employ multiple long snappers in training camp. Why? Because then they can have a punter do drills and a kicker do drills or two kickers. Like, you see what I'm getting at here? You need two long snappers in order to run multiple special teams drills at the same time. And sure, maybe Hatcher will outperform Orzik and he'll get the job, but I would be very, very surprised. Realistically, Hatcher is here to be a training camp long snapper, gives him some NFL exposure and experience, hoping that he can latch on somewhere else. But I got to believe that the Packers are going to prioritize giving this job to Matt Orzik. Now, number 43, off the long snappers, we covered both of them on the 91 man, so Moving on, 43B, that is corner Keandre Thomas. He was originally acquired as a free agent from the Chargers originally. He was on the practice squad all of last year. In fact, in the preseason last year, he racked up eight tackles and gave up only one catch on seven targets. His prospects... Maybe a little bit better than you think. The Packers really like him. He, after that really, really strong preseason last year, it kind of came between him. And like, if you recall, if you were one of the OGs of this channel, you were here all the way back last August. You recall the crush that I had on Rico Gafford. Well, Keandre Thomas was right there with Gafford. It was kind of the two of them as the dark horses to potentially make the roster. Thomas nearly did it. Packers hung on to him all year on the practice squad, and they did so for a reason. But still. At the cornerback position, this is an overloaded spot. You've got Alexander, Nixon, Douglas, Stokes. That's already four. And then you're going to get into Carrington Valentine, a draft pick. Corey Valentine, when your special teams aces, Shamar Jean Charles, who's been on the roster multiple years. And then you're getting, see what I'm saying? Thomas is kind of down the list. Could he usurp those last couple? Could he force them to cut Carrington Valentine, even though he was a draft pick? Sure. But it's going to take an even better preseason than the one Thomas had last year. And that's asking quite a bit. Number 44, that's going to be Henry Pearson, UDFA from Appalachian State. He was most definitely an inline tight end at Appalachian State. But something that a lot of people don't realize is that he actually spent nearly a quarter of his pass play snaps in the slot. This is a highly versatile player. Keep in mind the Packers are listing him as a fullback. So he's going to he play tight end at Appalachian State. And he, yeah, at Appalachian State, he did a lot of the H-back stuff like Josiah DeGuara. And now the Packers outright list him as a fullback and not a tight end. So what is the path to a roster spot in the modern-day NFL for a fullback? Well, there isn't one, <laughs> to put it real simply, unless he becomes invaluable in something that they just can't let go. 
What are you going to do? Give him the running back three job? No, it's probably going to go to Nichols, Taylor, Goodson, one of them. What are you going to do? Keep him at tight end? I mean, he's going to have to probably jump over Austin Allen in the rankings then and force them to cut Tyler Davis, last year's special team snaps leader. So where'd he go? Likely bet is that they hang on to him in the practice squad all this year, kind of similar to, like I said, about Cameron McDonald last year. And they actually try to coach him up in the H-back role, or maybe they have him do some tight end stuff again. But the likelihood of Henry Pearson making it as a fullback or as a tight end in this roster, not high. Number 45, that's going to be Eric Wilson. Was acquired last year as a free agent. He was on the Saints practice squad when they signed him. Eric Wilson has a very, very interesting history, especially for someone that they signed off of the practice squad. You know, he originally started his career in Minnesota, and after year two, he played over 300 snaps at inside linebacker and had a missed tackle percentage of only 6.5%. In 2020, he was granted the starting job for Minnesota, and while it didn't go completely awful, his missed tackle rate actually skyrocketed. He had 20 missed tackles, and his rate jumped to over 15%. Now, I gave kind of a negative fact about Wilson there, I know, but what are his roster prospects? Good. Like, actually, pretty darn good. Wilson led the team in special teams tackles last year, despite not joining them until week five. He also ranked sixth in special team snaps for the cumulative year. And he does actually offer inside linebacker experience. He's not just a special teamer in spite of how they used him. Like I said, the dude started an entire year for Minnesota. That's a lot more experience than most can say in the NFL. So I think he sits in kind of the second wave of inside linebacker. Sure, you've got Devondre Campbell. Sure, you've got Quay Walker. But then who are the next men up? Realistically, Isaiah McDuffie and Eric Wilson. And then you probably get down to Tariq Carpenter, some of the other UDFAs we're going to talk about today. So not a lock. But his chances feel pretty darn good at this point. Number 46, Jimmy Phillips Jr. He's a UDFA from SMU. Tied the school record at SMU for total games played collegiately with 59. What are his roster prospects? They're not great. Nope, not great, Bob. Or whatever the popular gif is. Uh, Look, inside linebacker, he's there with three Carpenter. He's realistically behind Eric Wilson. He's behind McDuffie. Like, there's a lot of people at inside linebacker. And I just, maybe he stands out on special teams, but is he going to do so more than Eric Wilson? We know Rich Passaccia would love to just employ 53 inside linebackers and have them run around like maniacs all the time. But I'm not sure Jimmy Phillips Jr. is is, uh, is going to be making it. Number 47, uh, a different tale of a player here. Justin Hollins. He was a free agent acquired from the Rams after they let him go about two-thirds of the way through the season last year. He appeared in only six games for the Packers after being let go, but in that time he amassed nine pressures and three sacks, according to PFF. What are his prospects? Look, Packers re-signed him this offseason for a reason. He's probably in the tier right under lock, and I know a lot of people don't believe that, but hey, go look at OTAs. I know I talk about how rotations and playing time at OTAs don't matter that much, but... It was quite notable how Justin Hollins was taking a lot of the first-team snaps opposite Preston Smith and not Kingsley and Agbare while Rashawn Gary continues to come back. You certainly don't expect that of LVN at his very first OTA, very first minicamp as a rookie, but, like, you could have had it been Anagbare, and they chose not to. They gave that role to Hollins. So, to me, that means that they like him a lot, and they put a priority on re-signing him. So last year he came in, he got three sacks, got those nine pressures. He's in that second wave of pass rusher, and who knows how long Rashawn Gary's going to miss. I know all the reports about him are quite positive, but is it going to truly stay that way? 
how much time is he going to miss? And that means Hollins might just get more and more playing time. I, I think he's a shoe in for the roster. Number 48, that's going to be Benny Sapp, the third UDFA from Northern Iowa. He only gave up 256 yards in coverage last year, but 80 of those were on a single catch. If you were to wipe out that one play, that actually puts him up to being about 20th in all of college football for safeties who logged over 700 snaps last year. That's pretty dang good for a UDFA. And there is some potential here. Maybe he can oust seventh-round pick Anthony Johnson Jr. Maybe he's got the skills to, to usurp the draft pick and take his spot. But Anthony Johnson Jr. isn't even guaranteed a spot as a seventh-round pick. You know, maybe the Packers are truly inclined to keep six safeties, which sounds like a ton, in which case his chances are better. But he still probably has to leap a couple people, maybe even Rich Bisanchia's best friend, Dallin Levitt. If this is even close... The edge is going to go to Anthony Johnson Jr. The edge is going to go to uh, to Dallin Levitt. I just don't love Benny Sapp's chances unless he absolutely balls out. Number 49, tight end Austin Allen, originally signed as a free agent. Collegiately, his career high in both catches with seven in a game and yards with 143 in a game came against the Wisconsin Badgers. Ouch, bro. Like Benny Sapp, sure, he's got some potential. Could he Could he jump over Tyler Davis? Sure, but he's going to have to prove that he's incredibly competent on special teams in order to do so, considering that that's Tyler Davis's main gig now since he led the team in special team snaps last year. And Allen does have some real potential as a receiving tight end. But he's going to be fourth on the depth chart, best case scenario, because they've got Musgrave, Kraft, DeGuara. And we know that that fourth tight end job has to be a special teams predominant role for the way Rich Bisaccia does things. Keep in mind, basically going all the way back, like throughout his entire career as a special teams coordinator, a tight end has always been, always been in the top three of special team snaps. So if Allen is going to take Tyler Davis's job, it's because he shows that he is incredibly competent at special teams and not just as a receiver. Moving on to number 50. Zach Tom. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting to some of the roster locks now, right? Fourth round pick out of Wake Forest just last year. Here is the fact about Zach Tom, and it is, it is a beautiful fact. He was the top rookie pass blocking last year per PFF at the tackle position. The top rookie. He also was the best at pass blocking efficiency for rookies at the tackle position as well. In terms of the roster, he is the lock of the lockiest of the locks of the locks. Like, the dude's going nowhere, and he's staying in Green Bay for years. The only question is where he starts and if he starts. Keep in mind that last year he was slightly better on the left side than he was on the right, and yet the coaches have talked about how between center, right guard, and right tackle, that's where they're looking at Tom because Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, they want the left wall for their offensive line, so that means he's got to go on the right. That means that he's competing against Josh Myers at center, John Rennie Jr. at right guard, and then inevitably Yash at right tackle. And if OTAs are any indication, it looks like the first place that they're going to try to get Zach Tom into the lineup is at that right tackle position against Yash. There's no doubt at this point that Zach Tom is one of their best five offensive linemen. I would like to think that he's going to start, although the possibility of them keeping him as just this overall sixth man super sub to go wherever they need one, it's possible. So, Zach Tom, going to be playing somewhere. He's going to be playing a bunch. We just don't know where and how. 
Number 51, Keyshawn Banks, UDFA from San Diego State. At San Diego State, the man played all over. According to PFF, Banks played 1,152 snaps as a traditional edge rusher, with another 609 at defensive end and 653 in the B-gap. His prospects, he's another UDFA long shot. Just that easy. Edge is so overloaded. Whether Gary misses time or not, there still is Preston Smith, Hollins, LVN, Brent Cox Jr. Like, there's so many. Enigbare, so many edges on this roster. In order for a UDFA to make it, Banks is going to have to not just outperform all of them, but drastically outperform all of them. And um, good luck. Number 52, Rashawn Gary. Yeah, my heart just went a little pitter-patter. He was the first-round pick in 2019 out of the University of Michigan. Look, we both know. I have waxed poetic about Rashawn Gary for quite a while. He's my favorite player on the Packers. I don't exactly make that a secret. But it is worth noting that last year, his tackling did take a turn for the worse. His missed tackle rate last year jumped nearly 10%. But yet, in spite of that, he had the same number of stops. Yeah, so in nine weeks last year, he had 25 stops. In the entire year previous, he had 25 stops. So while his missed tackle percentage certainly crept up while he wasn't as strong of a tackler, he was even more impactful with splash plays last year. The only question for Rashawn at this point is when is he going to sign that extension? Because whether it be franchise tag next year or whatever, Rashawn Gary isn't going anywhere for a while. And when's that extension come? And that's the only thing that matters at this point in terms of his job. Number 53, Jonathan Garvin, Kennedy, anti-Rashawn Gary in a lot of ways. He was acquired in 2020 as a seventh-round pick out of the University of Miami. He's got the size. He's got the RAS score. He just doesn't have the production in any way, shape, or form. He's appeared in 38 games for the Packers and has a singular sack. He also has a singular tackle for loss. Look, he's more than likely on his last life in Green Bay. He has been, as the Packers have rotated body through body through body at the edge position. Over the last couple of years, keep in mind how many guys, because they haven't been this loaded for years, keep in mind how many guys have been practice squad elevations or up and down type players to really fill out when there's been injuries. And Garvin has been solidly in the mix there, but the Packers don't have to do that anymore moving forward. So I just don't see how Garvin is going to hang on anymore. The productivity hasn't been there. And now... They've got shiny new toys that they could employ more easily. Number 54, Ladarius Hamilton, much in the same boat as Jonathan Garvin. He was acquired from the Buccaneers. He was on their practice squad. Packers signed him. He was on their practice squad all of last year. Interesting fact about him, though, during his career at Corgan Camden High School, Hamilton played up to six positions at times. It's believed that he played offensive tackle, defensive end, linebacker, tight end, long snapper, and at times was even their kicker, which is fantastic. I feel like a broken record today, but like, look, he was on the practice squad all last year. They did elevate him occasionally, but they got a whole bunch of new edges now. And I'm just not seeing how the Darius Hamilton, Garvin, any of that crew of last year continues to stick around with the position so much more convoluted. Number 55, one of the guys who's actually entrenched at that position would be Kingsley and Agbare, the fifth-round pick from South Carolina in 2022. Amongst all rookies with at least 150 pass-rushing snaps at the edge position last year, his PRP ranked eighth 
out of all rookie edges last year. Now, if you're wondering what PRP is, I'm going to reference PFF again. That is their fancy, like, combined metric for how many snaps did a guy play. And now factor in the hurries, the pressures, the hits, the sacks, the pass rate, run efficiency, whatever. It's their standard metric for combining all of that stuff together to say how good is a pass rusher. And Enigbare, at least when it comes to edges, with 150 pass rushing snaps last year, Enigbare was the eighth best. That ain't too shabby for a fifth-round pick. Now, what are his prospects? Good news! This dude's making the team, unequivocally. Now, I will say the Packers don't exactly completely feel like they found this diamond in the rough with Enigbare. A lot of people think that he was a steal coming out of the fifth round of the draft, but look, Enigbare played a bunch last year. They've got Gary, they've got Smith. And yet they still felt the need to go get a first-round edge this year in Lucas Van Ness. This isn't a knock on Enigbare. I'm just trying to kind of trying to feel out how the Packers feel. And look, if you feel like you've got this fifth-round steal who unequivocally is going to be like this down-in, down-out starter once he develops a little bit more, unequivocally part of the future, then why are you spending a first-round pick on an edge? Why is edge so high on your need list? So, look... Enigbare probably has a future in Green Bay as a rotational pass rusher, which is great. That's a good thing because it's where he is best suited to make an impact. So roster lock, no doubt about it. Starter, maybe while Gary is out and LVN is developing, but not long term. Number 56, and I do apologize deeply if I'm going to say this name wrong. I've looked up different videos, different people who have tried to define this pronunciation, and frankly, all of them are just a little bit different, so I don't quite know which way to go here, but number 56, Kenneth Adenagwu. Part of the NFL's International Pathway Program. If you haven't heard of this guy yet, this is one of the most fascinating stories on the Packers this year. And you've heard me talk about how the Packers have a 91-man roster. Well, normally it's 90. I haven't lost my marbles. It's the fact that he is an extra player on that 90-man roster. He's an exception to the rule. He participated in NFL programs in Nigeria. He played soccer uh, growing up. Then all of a sudden he had this massive growth spurt and he started playing basketball. While playing basketball, basically some people said to him, hey, why don't you give football a try and wound up participating in some of the NFL programs. Eventually he was invited to the NFL touchdown camp in Ghana where he was awarded the defensive MVP. Look, the dude is just learning football. About a year ago, he didn't know what a line of scrimmage was. And now... He is number 56 for the Green Bay Packers. No, the Packers did not necessarily sign him. They were allocated him by the NFL. But he's 6 foot 6, 259 pounds, and he has excellent burst and speed that were very much on display at OTAs. If he can learn the game, if he can learn how all of this works, maybe he can be something someday just based upon raw physicality. The great thing for the Packers, though, is for this year, he doesn't necessarily count against the rosters. Sure, they can put him on the 53-man. They can, in which case then he counts as one of the 53. But as of right now, he's an extra player on the roster. He's player 91 in what is most teams having 90. Same thing applies if they choose to put him on the practice squad this year. He does not count for their practice squad if they choose to put him there. He only counts if they put him on the 53. So the Packers have absolutely no no penalty, no consequence 
for keeping him around, at least on the practice squad throughout the course of this year, to see if they can continue developing him as a prospect to get him into an active NFL game. That's my guess. He's probably going to wind up on the practice squad. It makes all the sense in the world. Absolutely pulling for him to eventually make it. Number 57, that's going to be Brenton Cox Jr., the UDFA from Florida. Not your typical UDFA, I'll get there in a minute. But in 2018, he was one of the top 20 prospects in the country. Collegiately, he peaked in 2021 in Florida with 8.5 sacks and 14.5 tackles for loss. Look, another interesting story. He originally, after being named one of the top 20 prospects in the country, he went to the University of Georgia. Then he got a ticket for having some marijuana and then wound up getting kicked off the team. He went to Florida. Then no one's quite sure what happened there, but he eventually got kicked off Florida. Now, when he did his pro day, Florida still let him work out there. So obviously the relationship isn't totally like decimated. But if you look at his skills, if you look at his productivity, if you look at everything about him, Besides his behavioral history, this man is not a UDFA. He is substantially better than a UDFA. And the Packers may have gotten an absolute steal on their hands here if he can keep everything together behaviorally, mentally, emotionally, whatever is going on there, which, you know, no one in my circle of things out here who just puts stuff on the internet knows for sure what happened. So one thing we can say is that he was originally busted for marijuana. This is not a guy who you've heard stories about, like, beating people, you know, like manslaughter or whatever you want to say, right? So what are the problems here? What went wrong? Can he keep it together in Green Bay? If he can, he does stand a chance to make this 53. Absolutely he does. And and make the Packers keep six edge players. But... Can he? What exactly went wrong? How long is his leash? Is he going to make it? We just don't know. He's one of the most interesting players on this entire roster. Number 58, that's Isaiah McDuffie. Originally a sixth round pick of 2021 coming to us from Boston College. Pulled this from Packers.com because I thought it was super interesting. In high school, he was a two-way performer at linebacker and running back who played for his dad, head coach Stephen McDuffie, at Bennett High School in Buffalo, New York. He was a three-time captain in high school and finished with school records for single season in tackles, single game tackles with 29, career touchdowns with 70, and career rushing odds of 5,529. What are his prospects? They're good. He's basically inside linebacker three. He played 175 defensive snaps last year, 260 on special teams. The Packers like to plug him wherever he can go. By all accounts, he's next up on the depth chart following Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker. So he sticks. Next up, number 59, Devondre Campbell himself, originally signed in 2021 as a free agent from the Arizona Cardinals. His All-Pro 2021 really, really, truly came out of nowhere. Keep in mind, when he was first signed, the reaction was like, oh, well, that's a nice piece. Like, that's that'll work well for our depth. That's a good rotation piece. And then the dude became an All-Pro linebacker. Like, in in 2019 and 2020, his PFF grades averaged out to be 50. Yeah, his overall defensive grades. One year was like 49-something, one year was 50-something. 50! was the average for two complete NFL years. All of a sudden, 2021, dude comes to Green Bay and it's 84 and he becomes an all-pro. And I want to say this too. Joe Barry is a flawed defensive coordinator. Yeah, we know. We know. You're going to hear me talk about that on watch parties all year long. But, okay, he did exceptional work in LA with his inside linebackers. That was his job, was 
inside linebacker coach. And Corey Littleton, look at how he progressed in L.A. And then got himself a big free agent contract. Joe Barry's very good at planning for and developing the inside linebacker position. And one thing that I think gets overshadowed a lot in the discussion of Joe Barry is what inevitably was his hand in developing a guy who used to grade 50, now grades 84, and is an all-pro inside linebacker. Now, what are Campbell's roster prospects? Duh. Obviously, really good. The problem for him is he needs to get completely healthy, and he needs to show that he can play at an all-pro level again. Last year was above average. It was not as special as 2021. Can Campbell return to 2021 form? It's the only question that matters for the Green Bay Packers and Campbell. At number 60, the last jersey number we're talking about today, that would be UDFA from Illinois State, Jason Lewin. He used to play tight end, but then added 60 pounds while at Illinois State. And I'm talking about the good kind of 60 pounds, not just the 60 pounds that you get from eating too freaking much, but added 60 pounds in order to play defensive linemen. He was a top five IDL on the roster. I mean, like, let's say it this way, okay? In terms of his prospects, top five are probably locked down. You've got Clark. Wyatt, Slayton, Brooks, Wooden. Done. Now, the Packers may just keep those five. Or they may keep six, in which case you are expanding it to Chris Slayton, Jonathan Ford, maybe Jason Lewin. The point is, for that sixth interior defensive lineman spot, if the Packers opt to keep one, because the five are done, like locked, if they decide to keep a sixth, gotta believe Lewin stands just as good of a chance as anybody else. Ford, Slayton, I mean, these aren't guys that lit the world on fire last year. Slayton was held on the practice squad. We'll be talking about him more soon. But they might not keep one, but if they do, all bets are off. Lewin could make it. It's just a question of whether his play dictates that they need to keep a sixth one or not. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out. We've got 40 numbers to go. And tomorrow you're going to hear 61 through 80. So come on back for part four tomorrow as we continue to work our way through the roster, get ready for training camp next week. Hope you're having a great day today. And as always... <laughs>